When temptation comes our way, how are we to respond? How are we to make sure that we're the kind of people who who naturally resist the temptations of this world? When temptation comes our way, how are we to respond? Reminds me of the story of a young Presbyterian minister who was right out of seminary and he was looking at his budget, trying to make ends meet on the low salary that he was uh, receiving, and he noticed that in his, that month's credit card bill, his wife had spent $750 on a new dress. He couldn't believe it. So he called Julie in, he said, Julie, how is it you could spend $750 on a new dress? Don't you know that we're just struggling to, to meet all of our uh, financial commitments? And Julie said, well, sweetie, it was just so strange. I was in the mall the other day, and I walked by this store, and inside the glass was this beautiful dress, and I thought to myself, it wouldn't hurt to try it on, would it? So I tried it on, and as I was trying it on, standing in front of the mirror, it's as if Satan was right behind me telling me, you look fabulous in that dress. You should buy it. Well, the husband heard this and said, well, you know what I tell Satan when he tries to tempt me? I say, get behind me, Satan. He said, well, I told him that, but then he told me it looked great from back there as well. (laughs) What are we to do when temptation comes our way, when we feel ourselves being tempted to do things that maybe we know we shouldn't do? Did you know that the average American today uh, has over $16,000 in credit card debt? And we know from the scriptures that the borrower is slave to the lender, that debt's not something that the Bible promotes, it's not something we want to have. In fact, the average interest rate of a credit card today is a little over 15%, so it's, it's hard once you get into that hole to, to get out of that hole. And that's why we're teaching the uh, Financial Peace University class, uh, Dave Ramsey, on Wednesday nights to help people uh, manage their finances. But in our consumerist culture where we're told that, well, you've got to wear this, you've got to drink this, you've got to drive this, it's hard to say no. We're always being told that we can have it our way. It's difficult to resist temptation, isn't it? You know, several years ago, I was uh, having lunch with a friend of mine in Dallas, one of my old Price Waterhouse friends, and uh, the topic of the redefinition of marriage came up in our conversation. And he asked me where our church stood on that. And I explained that our church had recently joined a new Presbyterian denomination that upholds Jesus' definition of marriage. And then he made this comment to me as a former Roman Catholic who wasn't going to church at the time. He said, you know, it's interesting to me. The church makes a big deal about sexual sin. But I never hear it talk much about pride or envy or wrath or gluttony or sloth, some of the other seven deadly sins. Why doesn't the church ever talk about those sins as well? I had to admit he had a point. We don't spend a lot of time talking about those deadly sins, do we? We don't spend a lot of time talking about gluttony or greed or sloth or wrath or envy or pride, probably because the church hasn't always done a great job of differentiating itself from the rest of the world, have we? How can we make sure that we're the kind of people who naturally want to resist the temptation to sin, the temptations of this world. How did Jesus resist temptation? To find out, open your Red Pew Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4. It may be found on page 1027 of your Red Pew Bible. Matthew, chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for Matthew, who, inspired by your Holy Spirit, put pen to paper or parchment so that we might have your written word today. 
Oh God, as we read this familiar story of the temptation of Jesus, we pray, Lord, that by your spirit, you might speak to us afresh and anew, that we might hear from you, that we might be transformed at the reading and the preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name, we pray and all God's people said, amen. Matthew chapter four, beginning with verse one. Listen to the word of the Lord. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, Command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Looking again at verse one of our text. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, why would the Holy Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted? I thought that one of the things we pray in the Lord's Prayer is lead us not into temptation because we know that we can't handle temptation. We don't want to be drawn into temptation, and yet the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. Why did the Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted? Well, if you read Matthew 3, right before Matthew 4, you'll see the powerful story of how John the Baptist, the older cousin of Jesus, is baptizing in the Jordan River. And Jesus comes to be baptized by John the Baptist, and John looks at Jesus, and before he's able to baptize Jesus, uh, John says, no, no, I I should be baptized by you, he, he tells Jesus. And Jesus says, no, no, this is what he answers, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus came to this earth to experience hum, our, to have our human experience in all of its fullness. And so Jesus is drawn into the wilderness to be tempted so that he might know what it means to be tempted. The author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 to 16 explains this beautifully when he writes, "Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus was drawn into the wilderness to be tempted as we are tempted so that he might be able to relate what it, to us and what it means to be tempted. And yet Jesus was without sin. How was Jesus able to resist the temptations of Satan? Well, John Ortberg, uh, who's a pastor at Menlo Park Presbyterian Church, who's written many books, has one, written a wonderful book called The Life You've Always Wanted, Spiritual Disciplines for Ordinary People. And it's a great book that talks about how if we really want to follow Jesus, and the mission statement of our church is to discover and live the way of Christ in the expansive grace of God. If we want to follow Jesus well, then we need to do the kinds of things that Jesus did. And in order to resist temptation, it's much more important that we train wisely rather than that we simply try harder. For instance, I could try really hard to run a marathon, but I've never done that. In fact, the most I was thinking about, the most I've ever run in one continuous time is two miles. That's the most I've ever run. So I would probably die at mile five or six, right? But it, a marathon is over 26 miles. I mean, that's a crazy amount of distance. In fact, if I've, I've got to go 26 miles, I ride a car, right? It seems like that's what you should do in our modern age. But some people love to train marathons. And I know many friends who have done marathons. And I'm pretty confident that if I took it seriously and really wanted to do it, well, I could get into a training program. In fact, I have some friends who I know who are much less better shape than I was at this time, and they've run a marathon because they went into training. Every other day, they would run a certain amount of miles and build up eventually to where they could run and complete a marathon. That's the kind of training we need to do in the spiritual life. In fact, that's what this sermon series is about, new year, new you, transformation rather than just resolution. Rather than simply making resolutions for a new year and trying really hard, we want to train wisely. So how was Jesus able to resist temptation? Well, he was training wisely. You see, before he even begins his ministry, the Spirit leads him into the wilderness so that he might spend time in solitude, in prayer, meditation on Scripture, fasting, so that ultimately he is fasting from food but feasting on the Word of God. In fact, these 40 days, many biblical scholars point out that the 40 days of Jesus' time in the wilderness is parallels the 40 years that the people of Israel had to spend in the wilderness where they were tested and, and tempted before they went into the promised land. Jesus, however, did not succumb to temptation. The Israelites, unfortunately, failed time and time again, but Jesus was faithful as he resisted the temptations that Satan tried to bring. So how is it that Jesus was able to resist temptation? Now, I know that some of us may be thinking here for a moment, yeah, but that was Jesus, and I'm not Jesus. I mean, Jesus is God's son, right? He's, he's divine. But we also know that he's fully God and fully man. For we read in verse two of our text this morning, it says, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. He was hungry because he's a human being. And if you don't eat for 40 days, you will be very hungry. I want to point out that it says he was hungry, not thirsty. Uh, you cannot go 40 days without beverages, without water, without drink. You will die. But you can go a very extended period of time without food. And Jesus, in his full divinity and full humanity, had spent 40 days fasting, abstaining from eating food, 
as he tried to connect to his heavenly father as he prepared to launch his ministry. I love what Richard Foster says about fasting in his book, Celebration of Discipline. He has a chapter on fasting. And he points out that fasting is really feasting. When we would normally eat food, we're called to pray and to feast on God's word. Now, I don't know if you've ever fasted before. If you haven't, I would not encourage you to try to do a 40-day fast. That would be very difficult. That's like me trying to run a marathon today. I couldn't do it. But you can do a 24-hour fast if you're medically able, if you don't have any restrictions on that. And an easy way to do it, I have found, is to have a big lunch, and then I skip dinner, skip breakfast, and then I end my fast the next day with another lunch. And so for 24 hours, I have not eaten food. But during the time that I would normally eat food, I I make sure I'm, I'm hydrating, drinking, but I'm spending time in God's word, reading and feasting on God's word. For as Jesus points out, when Satan brings his first temptation to do this spectacular, to turn this stone into bread, to meet and satisfy his own needs, for for Jesus to be selfish and to use his divine power to help meet his own needs, Jesus responds by quoting Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse three, when he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's interesting to point out these scriptures that Jesus quote, they all come from either Deuteronomy six or Deuteronomy chapter eight. And if you read those chapters in Deuteronomy, you can see that Moses is speaking to the people of Israel after they've spent 40 days in the wilderness being tested by God before they go into the promised land. And Moses is reminding them of what they're called to do. In fact, the Shema, the most important commandment in all the Bible is in Deuteronomy chapter six. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then it goes on in Deuteronomy 7 to point out that, well, God has chosen the people of Israel not because they were the greatest of people, but they were the least of people. In fact, God loves them because he loves them. And then in Deuteronomy 8, he reminds them that while they were in the wilderness, yes, they, made, they ate manna from heaven, but man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Fasting helps us remind us of our need to turn to God for strength and sustenance, to feast on his word. Well, after being rebuffed by this initial temptation, Satan decides to to tempt Jesus, takes him to the tabernacle, and Satan says, well, if you can quote scripture, so can I. And so Satan begins to quote Psalm 91, verse 11 to Jesus and says to him, and, and he will command you, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. He says, jump from the top here, and, and, and the, 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 uh, the angels will uh, protect you. But Jesus knows that we're not called to test God. In fact, Satan is taking these verses from Psalm 91 out of their context. If you read all of Psalm 91, you'll see that It speaks about how God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble that we look to God for for comfort in the midst of storms. We don't try to test God or create our own conflict or, or difficult situations. And so Jesus resists Satan once again by quoting Deuteronomy verse 16, chapter six, verse 16, and says, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan has been rebuffed twice now, but not giving up. Satan tries a third time, doesn't he? By taking Jesus to a mountaintop and showing him all the kingdoms of the earth and says, look, all these temporal kingdoms and all the wealth of this world could be given to you if you will just bow down and worship me. And Jesus quickly responds by, again, quoting scripture, specifically Deuteronomy or a segment of Deuteronomy 6, verse 13, and says, 
He says, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Notice that Jesus is able to resist temptation with the word of God time and time and time again. If we want to be able to resist the temptations of this world, we've got to make sure that we're spending the time we need to feast on the word of God. And fasting, abstaining from eating food, actually helps us do that well. You see, when you fast, in the times that I've done fasts, and I've only done 24-hour fasts, I haven't done lengthy fasts, but when I do a 24-hour fast, I'm not eating, my metabolism will literally slow down, and my thoughts that are often racing will slow down as well. And that allows me to concentrate, to concentrate on what God's word has to say. Spend time in solitude and silence and prayer and meditation on God's word so that I might have God's peace and presence to hear from God, to be guided by his spirit to know what God would would have me do. Now I have to be honest with you, I've never done more than just a 24 hour fast, but our women's director, Emily Wood, has experienced a more extended fast, so I've asked her to share with us her experience. And so as the microphone turns on, there it is. Uh, Emily, I understand when you were in college, you had the experience of doing a two-week fast, and you've even uh, done it since then. Could you tell us about that experience and why you chose to fast so long? Yes, I, uh, I have a little apprehension about talking about this. When Howard first brought it up, because um, I've never spoken publicly about it, I think fasting is done in private, typically, but I never would have tried fasting uh, if I hadn't seen other people doing it, and I was really blessed to be around a community of believers in college who were doing even 40-day fasts, so my um, hope is that our church can encourage each other in these spiritual disciplines, and we can learn from each other. Uh, as we try these things. So I was in college. I was a senior. I wanted to move to New York City, and I had no idea if that was from God or from me. Uh, I was really lucky that a friend wanted to fast with me, so the two of us um, did a 10-day fast, and um, we tried to follow what the Bible said. So what Andrew read in Isaiah 58 about um, sharing your food with the hungry, we had a meal plan, and so we'd fill up to-go boxes and go feed hungry people, and um, we were hungry for more of God. And so uh, after that experience, I realized this is something that's very valuable, and so I've just had different seasons where I practice fasting. Great. Wow, I love that story, taking the food that you would normally be eating and giving it to the poor, which is what Isaiah 58 talked about. So what did God teach you in these seasons of fasting when you would do this? Uh, I think the main thing is that God sustains me and uh, his word nourishes me. Um, I, God has taught me over and over that it's good for me to deny, deny myself and humble myself, and that's a regular practice for me. Uh, that he, I think he wants me to work on. And, um, you know, he does give me direction. So almost 20 years ago, I, I had peace about moving to New York. And even just a couple years ago, um, I wrote in my journal after a fast, my calling is to disciple women. And so he's brought me here. So I'm... I'm the women's like director of our church, praise <laughs> the Lord, through fasting. Yeah, that's awesome. No, I love that. In fact, she became a Presbyterian in New York, so she was predestined to go to New York <laughs> and then eventually come here. I love the way that all worked out, listening to God closely. Yeah, so I know that some of us don't have as much experience with fasting as you do. Someone who's considering fasting, what might you tell them they should consider doing and, and what are some good, best practices? 
I think the first thing you have to do is really pray and ask God to guide you. Uh, I think a fast has to be directed by God. Um, often our motives can be impure, and so we really need God to guide us in that. Um, not everybody should, can, or should fast from food. If you have a medical issue, or um, say you've had an eating disorder, whatever it is. Um, but for better or for worse, there's lots of things we can fast from in our society today. I think some of what we consume the most is. Um, content on our phones, on our computers, on the television. So those are good things to fast from. Um, I think a good practice is just to ask God, what's controlling me right now? Um, or where am I going for comfort? Um, unfortunately, I often go to food for comfort. So he, he kind of directs me to fast from food. Um, and it's great to see how God fills you up when you take away that thing you've been depending on. Um, I think it's great to have a friend or, or somebody who will either pray with you while you're fasting or even fast with you so that you can kind of experience that community in doing something hard. And then I do, I love the chapter in that book, Celebration of Discipline, uh, about fasting. It's really helpful. And then the community I was in in college was at the time Campus Crusade for Christ. Now it's Crew. And there's actually a really helpful guide to fasting on their website at cru.org. And so those are all great resources. Great. And a key thing, of course, is she was fasting from food, not beverage, right? So you want to make sure you're drinking plenty of water and even juices are a good way to do that. And if you're a young person and you're still growing, I would not encourage fasting from food. You need as much nutrients as possible. Uh, but fasting from technology, that's a great thing. We're going to try and implement that in my house today. My kids don't know it, but we're going to try and see how that goes. I'll let you know next Sunday how that went. But yeah, just the fast to withhold, to abstain, uh, so that you might better hear from God. Notice in our text, here is Jesus. He hasn't really launched his ministry in the Gospel of Matthew. There, he's really only been baptized. He hasn't done anything else. But in order to prepare for what God, the Father, was calling him to do, he needed to spend some time in solitude and in prayer and meditation on God's word, fasting from food so that he might feast on the word of God so that he might hear God clearly and know exactly what God would have him do. And as temptation came his way, he was prepared to resist those temptations. You know, this whole sermon series, New Year, New You, transformation rather than resolution, it's all about doing the kinds of things that Jesus did so that we, like Jesus, might be able to resist temptation. Yes, fasting helps us be prepared to resist temptation, but it also helps prepare us to do the work God has called us to as it helped Emily hear God's clear call to help disciple women. And the fasting that Jesus did in the wilderness for four days helped prepare him ultimately to make the absolute sacrifice with his death on a cross. For Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. As we continue to read the Gospel of Matthew, you'll see in Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law, but rather to fulfill it. He fulfilled both the moral and the, the sacrificial elements of the law by living in perfect obedience to our Heavenly Father, then dying as the perfect sacrifice for our, our sins with his death on a cross. Then on the third day, he rose again, as we point out in the stained glass window, conquering both sin and death on our behalf with his resurrection on the third day, proving to be who he said he was, the Son of God, the great I Am, the Savior of the world. And he invites all of us to come and follow him. And as we follow him, we'll see that the way of Christ is the way of the spiritual practices Spiritual practices like solitude and silence and prayer and fasting and meditation on God's word. 
so that we might be prepared to resist the temptations of the world. As we do these things, as we fast, as we pray, as we meditate on God's word, we'll find that the seven deadly sins, whether they be lust or gluttony or greed or, or pride or envy or anger, become less and less and less and less attractive as we realize what it means to walk in the way of Christ, to be a light of his love, to allow his love to flow through us to others But as Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16, that others see our good deeds and give praises to our Father who's in heaven. To follow Jesus means to do the kinds of things that he did. So may each one of us consider how we might fast, whether it be from food or from technology this week, spending time so that we might slow down, to be still, to know that he is God, so that we might hear from God and be nourished by his word and therefore live out his word each and every day. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you, Lord, for the example that we have in Matthew 4 of Jesus following the Spirit's leading into the wilderness to practice the spiritual practices of solitude and prayer and meditation on Scripture, fasting, feasting on your word so that he might be prepared to resist the temptations of the evil one, but also so that he might be prepared to launch his ministry to do what you called him to do, which is to live in perfect obedience and then die as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Oh God, in gratitude for all that you've done for us, help us to walk in the ways of Jesus. Help us to follow you by training wisely, by doing the kinds of things that Jesus did, spending time alone with you and prayer and fasting and meditation on your word so that we might be able to resist the temptations of this world as they come, so that we might be prepared to do all that you've called us to do. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your son who is the Christ and all God's people said, amen. Can you join me in thanking